you are all loving, that you never betray, that you never forsake. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, Hope Church. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here visiting us this morning. My name is David. I am one of the pastors here. Ruben, my brother here, is our co-pastor, and he'll be teaching in our Spanish service uh, in the following hour. Um, God has called us as a church to be one family that speaks two languages, but has one hope. In Jesus Christ. And so we're excited about, again, what God is doing in this church body. I have a question for you this morning. When was the last time, think about the last time, you gave somebody a great piece of advice? You were able to share just that thing that they needed the most. You know, there's so many things that we, we have in life that we need advice on that we're just more than willing to give advice on, whether it's dealing with our kids, how to be healthy, um, how to uh, navigate the world around us at our job, um, or, or, or anything. I, we're watching uh, my big fat Greek wedding with our kids the other day. They'd never seen it before. It was a piece of culture they needed to, to see. And, and there's the, you know, the, the one piece of advice that fixed all ailments was the, the squirting of Windex on anything, right? And... <laughs> And you see at the very end of the movie, you know, on the wedding day, you know, she had woken up and she had a zit on her face. Oh, no. And, and then the, the dad's like, oh, I'll spray some Windex on that. She's like, no, 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 no. They shoo him away and, and get cover up and everything. And then later on, uh, they're in the honeymoon car on their way out. And she says, look, I had this big zit on my face. And he's like, oh, I had one too, uh, but it's gone. Well, what'd you do? I sprayed Windex on it. <laughs> You know, sometimes uh, we get more advice than we want. We're going through something and seem to get no end of, of advice. Um, we, we each have that particular thing uh, or a few things that we like, you know, because, mostly because in our own experience, that thing helped us. You know, whether it's the Windex or, or maybe, you know, you tried once using the, the duct tape on a wart to, to get rid of the wart, and it actually worked. And so now every time you see someone else who's got a wart on their hand, you make sure that they know, hey, when I had a wart on my hand, I put duct tape on that, and that took care of it. So you're, you're looking for that opportunity to share that advice of something that in your own life you experienced, and it worked. So a question I have for us this morning, and it is the first question in your handout to fill in. Am I sharing Christ? Among those things that I share. Those things that are the list of things that I'm, 
I am so ready to see the need for and respond with, hey, this worked for me. Is Christ in that list? Am I sharing Christ? You know, that's not an easy thing to do. For, and, and I want to be honest with myself and with each other of, of, of things that, that are difficult. And, and as I'm asking that question, we're thinking, well, that is something I should share because it is something that's been effective in my life, is the work of Christ, of Jesus. But, but when I think of all those things that I'm so ready to just, hey, you need, you've got that problem. I had that problem too. Here, this, this addresses that problem. There's nothing... Nothing as relevant as Jesus Christ in our lives to address the situation that we're in, in all of our life. But is that among the list of things that we're ready at a moment, different people in our life to say, hey, Christ, look what Jesus has done in my life. When, as we're, we're going through the book of Philippians together, and a couple of weeks ago, Paul was, was looking at his circumstances, and he was explaining his circumstances, uh, and, and he was saying, I want you to know that this has really turned out for the advancement of the gospel. And he was saying how, how his imprisonment for Christ was known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard that all the Roman soldiers knew that he was there for Christ, and this was a good thing. And then as a result, it was causing those believers around him to have more boldness to share Christ because they saw here Paul has put his life on the line and look what God is doing now him even in prison in Rome it encouraged them to be bold for Christ why did they need to be bold we kind of already know uh, that it required boldness for them to share Christ and there was a real opposition there uh of, of persecution, and, and they could lose their life as a result, but they, they grew in their boldness. For us, we certainly find barrier to sharing Christ. Why is that? Why is it so difficult to just be ready at a moment to share, hey, that problem you're going through, that difficulty you're facing, there's a root issue there, and it's a root issue that was in my life too, and that was met by Jesus. And to share Jesus as the ultimate, as the ultimate thing that's going to meet them and meet their need where they're at. Why is it difficult? You know, our culture... We, we don't face the kind of persecution that Paul was facing there. Um, but there is, there is uh, in our culture, um, this feeling of, as I'm trying to consider, why is it difficult for me? Why is it difficult for me just to, in a moment at work um, or, or with folks at the soccer field to just, to just speak about Christ and, and what God is doing. And, and actually, as I'm thinking about it, it is a little easier to speak about what God is doing than to speak specifically about what Jesus Christ is doing in my life. What God is doing is a little more palatable to the world around us because that doesn't get super specific yet. 
And, and people are, you know, that's culturally something that, that's easier. And, and it's not a bad thing to speak about what God is doing in your life and to bring that perspective into a conversation because that can be a way that they start saying, wait a second, he's not just depending on himself for what's going on. There's, he's actually looking at what God is doing around him. That's a good thing. But can I encourage you and challenge you that we need to get all the way to sharing specifically that it is Jesus personally, Jesus, in my life that has actually made the difference and that is going to make the difference in their life. Why is that so difficult? There's a real resistance, and it's not just a resistance of people. Um, There's a resistance that's spiritual that we run up against that is very real. Um, But In this culture, certainly, to put ourselves alongside Christ, to put ourselves alongside Jesus, opens us up to ridicule, opens us up uh, to being associated with foolishness, with with things that, that the world makes fun of, and the Bible tells us they're going to, which shouldn't surprise us. So I want us to... I want to encourage us this morning to be looking at the gospel as, as Paul's taking us in now uh, to a call to action. And, and in this passage that we're going to be covering as we're going through uh, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, um, there's a call that, that Paul gives us in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And everything that follows is gonna be talking about what that looks like for my manner of life to be worthy of the gospel. And I love that as we're studying through this, uh, this week and, and seeking the Lord on, on how we would, would teach this, my brother Reuben here kept coming back to this idea that is implicit, that's, that's assumed right here. That, for, that when we say my life needs to be worthy of the gospel, that what we're really saying is that the gospel, the, new, the good news of Jesus Christ is worthy of everything that is called here. It's worthy to be that thing that we share. Boy, it's not even in the same category as everything else that we share that's good for you to do, the good advice. The good news of Jesus Christ is so much greater. We, it shouldn't even be compared to taking away warts or, or spraying Windex or, or how to raise your kids or anything else. It is the, the thing that not only transforms my life and everything about my life now, but has an impact for eternity. Nothing else like that. So let's read, starting in verse 27. Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, (laughs) 
God, your word was relevant to the Philippians then as they're in concern for Paul there in prison and as Paul is writing back to them, encouraging them and challenging them with this command, God, that they live out their lives in a way worthy of your good news, of your gospel. God, I pray that we would take this, God, that this word that was inspired by your Holy Spirit so that it would still be relevant, applicable, and powerful for us to apply in our lives 2,000 years later, God. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, there's a lot of places where Paul talks about in other letters uh, to walk worthy, to live worthy of, of the Lord, of Christ, of the gospel. And, and the words that he uses in all those other places is, is a word that means to live in the Greek. That's not the word he's using here. There's a, there's a different word. It's only used twice in the Bible. The other time it's used is, is by Luke in the book of Acts. And in, in that case, it, it simply is just in the context of living out your life. But this word had a special meaning to the Philippians that's worth looking at um, because the Philippians, they, they, were, they were proud of their citizenship there in Philippi. See, Philippi was this location that, uh, that it, it, it was the location that the deciding war for the empire of Rome was fought and won there in Philippi. And so Philippi was brought in as became this Roman colony. And they enjoyed citizenship as Roman citizens because they were part of Philippi. And it was set apart from the rest of the towns around it. And they were very proud of their citizenship there in Philippi. And they, they enjoyed uh, the benefits of Roman law. They, they didn't have to be taxed on everything that other people had to be taxed on because they were Roman citizens. It's why when they imprisoned Paul and then found out later, wait, he's by birth a Roman citizen, that they were afraid of, oh no, we just, we just imprisoned a Roman citizen because Roman citizens had certain rights. And they didn't, they didn't try Paul before putting him in, in prison. A Roman citizen should be tried first. And so they were very proud of their citizenship. And that citizenship um, had a special meaning. And, and this word literally, um, let me get it right. It, it means to live, to not live out your life, but to live as a citizen of a free state, to take an active part in the affairs of the state. The root Greek word actually begins with the, with the Greek word for state. It is, it's a special word that carried with it all the connotations of what they understood of what it was to be a citizen in community. And, and as I was reading through that and comparing what they would have understood culturally to what our understanding is of what it is to live in a free country, it was different. Because for them, that it, the, the citizenship of a state was being part of a community. It, it offered all of these opportunities to them, not individually, but as a community together with others. Here in the United States, what, what we mostly take our freedom as is opportunity for me individually to excel and, and to make something of my life, independent of all those around me. But here, the, their vision of opportunity and freedom was in community with the rest of that state, which for us, as we've been brought into citizenship, 
and the kingdom of heaven is more of what it is like. And so there's a double meaning here for Paul. Not only live out your life as citizens in a manner pleasing, in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel together, but also as citizens, citizens here on earth, but citizens in heaven, to live out that life in a manner pleasing or pleasing to God and worthy of the gospel. And so he continues, only let your manner of life, let your, if I was gonna say it, Live out, live as a citizen of a free state in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ, to paraphrase that, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. See how that ties in? Their unity. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm together, side by side. This faith that God has called us to is not to be fought, not to stand firm alone. That's not God's purpose and his design for us as believers. It's to be done together in unity, in one mind. It's his design. There, there's no lone wolves in God's design within the body of Christ. It's his design from the beginning that, that we, when we put our faith in Christ, that we are joined together in unity with others who have also put their faith in Christ. That's his design and his purpose. And we see that as Jesus is getting ready at the end of his life. If you turn with me to John uh, chapter 13. Starting in verse 33, Jesus is here at the Last Supper with his disciples, um, and he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where is he going? He's going to sit at the right hand of the Father, where he is now. A new commandment I give to you. Okay, so now he's setting forth... Uh, the, the essence of what he wants them to be doing now. As he goes to sit at the Father, what is it that he wants us to be doing? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is God's design for how we reach the world, how the world then knows the love of Christ, that sees Christ as Christ is going and he's gonna leave them behind. It's their love for one another is his purpose and design for how the world is going to know the genuineness of his people, how they're gonna see Christ. And that has to be done together, standing together in one spirit and one mind. So second question I have for us this morning as we're looking through this passage, who am I standing with? I look in my own life. Who am I standing with? Who in my life is encouraging me to share Christ, to stand firm in my faith? Who in my life is feeding into my life? Who in my life is there that I'm feeding into their life? Who am I striving side by side for the faith of the gospel with? Who is that in my life? Now certainly, because you are here in this room, if you only met here once a week on Sundays, this is a fellowship 
that you could say these people are that in my life. And that's a good thing. But I think God wants us to have more meaningful side-by-side striving for the gospel in our life. So who else is that? We talked about small groups. That, there's a reason why small groups are important. Those, it, it's in small groups that we have time midweek. We, we just pick one time, middle of the week. And sometimes when, when God puts together things, then, then you can be more in each other's life throughout the week. Um, but that's part of striving together, being unified in Christ, of holding each other up and being of one mind and one spirit. It happens in life, doing life together. And so small groups can be an important part of that. Where are, where are you? In, are you going to school? Are you uh, at a job? Where the, are there no other Christians there? Or is there maybe one or two? Are you making a point to reach out to those that are around you that are also believers and saying, you know, maybe we go to vastly different churches, but we share one faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so God has called us to be unified in what we're doing. Are we striving together with the rest of the body of Christ around us? We're not called to be alone. Our unity is vital. What is the reason for unity that he gives here? In verse 27, it's it's for the faith of the gospel. It's a striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What is that? Well, the faith of the gospel, it's everything that we confess to be true that comes from the gospel. Everything, what is the gospel? That's a a church word we throw out there. Because if you start talking to people about, do you know the gospel? I know gospel music. I I watch the Blues Brothers. That's not not the gospel. The gospel, it it just means the good news. And it's the good news about what? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died and was buried and rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he's coming again. There you go, that's the good news. And, and, and from that good news, there, is, there are essential truths that we confess about who God is, about our condition before a holy God, of, of our need for a Savior. I, the gospel doesn't even make sense if I don't need a Savior. Why did Jesus die? So then the gospel is under attack. Here, it was under attack in multiple ways. They, they were... Um, well, certainly, when Paul went to, went to Philippi, uh, it, he was sharing the gospel, and, and the Gentiles, they, they ended up uh, taking Paul and Silas, stripping them of the clothes, beating them, and throwing them in jail. Uh, why? Well, initially, it was because you know, he cast a demon out of, out of this person who was making money for their master, and now he's not going to be making money anymore. So he, he you know riled everybody up. And, and then there was reason that they had because what? They're proud of their Romanness, right? They're proud to call Caesar their leader. And, and what is Paul preaching? He's preaching Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Give your life to Christ. No, that's against what they held to be true. And so, and so <clears throat> the attack on the gospel there is just, it's just pure persecution. But then also later in the book of Philippians here, we're going to see other attacks on the gospel. 
Judaizers claiming to be Christians saying, no, no, for you to be following Christ, to be a Christian, what it means is you need to follow all of these rules and laws to earn your righteousness before God. That's, that's what we had in Judaism, and that's what you need to continue to do. And, and discounting the truth of what Christ accomplished on the cross, that no, we don't earn a righteousness of our own, but we have a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that was attacked. What else is attacked? How are we attacked now? How's the gospel attacked? Anything that would attack who Jesus is, anything that would attack our need for a savior, anything that would, that would undermine the message and the need for the gospel in our lives is an attack on the gospel. And so he says, together stand firm in that truth. The third question I have for us this morning not only who am I standing with, but what do I stand for? What do I stand for? In this day and age, <laughs> there's more causes to stand for than I think has ever been. You watch social media and it's one thing after another coming through. You know, this cause, that cause. Do you stand for this and stand for that? And I had... And in my own estimation of, of the culture around us and, and how things have progressed, it seems like in the, in the abundance of things to stand for, people have kind of resolved to not really standing for anything. And, and you'll pick up this thing, and it's easy to set it down and pick up a new thing. And I, now I stand for this, and this is me. And I set that down, and I pick something else, and I stand for that. Do any of the things out there that people are calling to stand for compare to standing for the simple truth of the faith that we confess in Jesus Christ. There's nothing compares. So what do I stand for? What are the things in my life, if I just take an honest look at my life, look at what I stand for, what are the things that, that I'm willing to go to battle for that I won't compromise on? What are those things? What do I stand for? So there's many causes. Um, Paul, around him, he had plenty of causes as well that people stood for. Uh, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. See where Paul took it. Chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. There you go. He could stand up for the cause of whatever he means. I'm not going to go into it, but by saying that I am free from all, but he doesn't. He says, I made myself a servant of all, that I might win more, to the, more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not really being under the law, myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. 
And poor Timothy, who was, who was with Paul, also fell into that category. See, Timothy wasn't circumcised, but they were going to be reaching into witnessing to Jews who that was a big deal to them. And, and even Paul talks about how it's not necessary to be circumcised. You shouldn't be teaching that. But he had Timothy circumcised, poor Timothy. Why? Because he wanted to reach Jewish people. And that was a big deal to them. So let's, let's become like them so that we can reach them. He was free. He didn't, he didn't have to do that. But his purpose was the gospel. <laughs> and the gospel is worthy of laying down all my rights and privileges. To those outside the law, continuing in verse 21, to those outside the law, the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. What might that mean? Well, you know, going to those places where good Jews don't go or, go, or, or eating the food and, and things or drinking the things that, that good Jews don't drink, right? There was no compatibility between the cause of Jews and the cause of Gentiles. That those were hostile towards each other. And yet he's entering into both to reach people for the gospel. He said, not being outside the law of God, said, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, but not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That was his position. Still not compromising who he was in Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So as I consider the, own cause, the causes that I have taken up in my own life, what am I willing to lay down for the one cause that truly matters? When people look at my life, when they look, look at my Facebook feed, I don't say anything on Facebook, so there's not much to see there. My wife is my social proxy. But when they look at my life and they look at the things that I say, what, it, what would they say the chief cause of my life is? I love uh, the Facebook feed of Mel Grams. You guys got to hear Mel Grams. He came and spoke once here. Um, follow him on Facebook. You'll be encouraged every week because what comes out of his mouth is praise for the Lord. What I've been reading today in the Word. Look at this hymn that just spoke to my heart this morning. Look at that's, that's his heart. It's, it's praise and worship and a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. It is evidence of the gospel, is the cause of his life is Jesus. When people see what's coming out of my mouth, when they see the course of my life and the things that I stand up for strongly or the things that I don't make a big deal about, that all points towards what the cause of my life is oriented towards. What is the cause? What do I stand for? The truth is worth standing for. Certainly the gospel is worthy of laying down every cause in my life, every other cause in my life. So Philippians, back in, in chapter one, um, Continuing in verse 28, 
He said, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, when we stand for the gospel, we will have opponents. We will. And the stronger we make that the thing that we stand on, we can expect to have opposition because we know that we're not battling against people. We're battling against, it's not flesh and blood, it's principalities and authorities and, and, and spiritual beings. It's, it's Satan. He's in opposition to the gospel. And so if that becomes the thing that my life is centered on, we can expect that we will run into opposition. And it's a sign not only of their destruction, and, and the sign that he's talking about is what he spoke of before, our unity, standing firm in the truth the gospel, that is a sign to them of their destruction, but of our salvation from God. And it has been granted to us that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He had that conflict in Philippi. He went in, shared the gospel, and right away ran into physical conflict, being thrown in jail. And, and then after that, did that stop him? No, even in jail, they were singing Christ's praises in jail. And then God did this miracle and ended up reaching the jailer for Christ. And, and then did that stop them, that there continued to be persecution there? No, they continued on down from Philippi into Thessalonica. And if we read real quick, uh, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, this is a Paul letter to, to Thessalonica. It's not far from Philippi. And it was his next stop. And it says, chapter 2, verse 2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. There was conflict. Continued to be conflict. But they continued in boldness in God to proclaim the gospel, even in the midst of that conflict. So the question I have for us this morning, am I engaged in the conflict? Am I engaged in the conflict? Is that a reality in my life? Now I have to explain this one carefully because what I'm not saying here is am I causing conflict? That's not it. We can expect conflict when we stand for the gospel. But if you see what Paul was doing in every case where conflict came his way, it wasn't in a way to stir up conflict. No, it was in peace, in, in, in love, in sharing the truth of Christ, of Jesus, the simple testimony of Christ and who he was, how life-changing that is and calling people to follow Jesus. That was what he was doing. But in doing that, then he was met with conflict. So as I'm examining my life, is there conflict? I should expect there to be something. And, and if there's not, then, then am I really where I should be? Or am I playing it safe as a Christian? 
and just kind of staying out of the conflict. I, I don't want to get into that. Continuing in 1 Thessalonians, in verse 3, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's all we need to worry about. Am I pleasing my Father? As I meet with conflict, as I'm concerned about conflict, maybe that really is some of the reason why we find it difficult to bring up Jesus in conversation because we know that on the tail end of that, I might lose a friendship. I, I, I might get kicked out of my job. I might, anything, it, that, that doesn't necessarily go over well with people. And so it's gonna be met with conflict. But, but is my concern that or is my concern solely focused on God? Solely focused on Jesus who I'm following so that my concern is to please him and it's him who's testing my heart. That was Paul's motivation as he brought the gospel then even in the midst of conflict to those in Thessalonica. What is the conflict that we face today? In the US, we do have conflict. It's not like it is around the rest of the world. I think for us to say that I'm engaged in the conflict is to be, and this is something, honestly, has been going through this this week, was convicting to me that I don't know enough about the conflict that's going on, my brothers and sisters around the world. I, I know about other news and what's going on, and even that I don't know a whole lot, but am I tuned in to what's happening within the realm of the gospel? and the efforts of the gospel. And as I did a little tiny bit of digging, you know, there's things that I should be praying for. You know, our brothers and sisters in Russia, since 2016, July is three years ago, uh, Putin passed a set of laws that, that were under the, the guise of, of anti-terrorist laws. That's, you know, that sounds like a good thing, right? No, but mixed in all those laws are these rules about you can't evangelize outside of a church building. And those churches have to be approved, church buildings, right? And so our brothers and sisters in Russia these past three years have been persecuted, receiving fines for thousands of dollars for sharing Christ at a bus stop, for sharing Christ in their own home. And, and really, it's subjective. It, you know, any kind of religious gathering then is considered, well, you're sharing Christ. So anything that they would do as a church is not a sanctioned Just this month uh, in Germany, they recognized uh, an appeal for asylum from a, a Baptist family uh, who uh, was, was trying to claim asylum from Russia, um, and they recognized, yes, you are being persecuted by the government of Russia, and so they honored that. They ruled that within Germany. There's, there's stuff, I think North Korea right now I can't imagine being a, uh, a Christian in North Korea, but I know our brothers and sisters are there. Just like our brothers and sisters here. It is the most persecuted place in the world right now. 
at least according to one source. But the persecution's real here too. Praise the Lord that we have freedom to share Jesus. And, and if we have that opportunity now, and I don't know how long we'll have it. Maybe we'll have it for a long time, but maybe not. For someone like Putin to be able to just pass a law like that and suddenly outlaw sharing Christ, that could happen here. But, but the persecution's real. Youth, young adults, as you're going to college, that's a place where the persecution is starting to heat up. What you can expect to face if you stand for the truth of the faith of the gospel is heating up. When it, I've been on multiple ADRN deployments where we debriefed people who had gone through uh, tragedy, and, and one of them was down in San Marcos where where there was the, the apartment fires and, and all the students that had gone through that. It was terrible, and, and it was wonderful that, that we were able to debrief a lot of those students that had come through that, but my eyes were opened to the generation that's coming through that has no heart for it. I've never had that kind of a response when I asked if I could pray for someone. In every other ADR and deployment, people were grateful. Yes, please pray for me. Thank you for doing that. The response was different. Sure, if you want to. Not closing their eyes while I close my eyes to pray. Hard. Students, that's what you're, that's what you're in, and, and, and that's, that's, that's future generation coming up within the U.S. It's not going to be what it has been, the heart of our country towards those who confess faith in Jesus Christ is hardening and hardening. What is the persecution that we face? Let's understand it. Let's call it what it is. Let's lift up those around the world who are facing physical persecution, much harsher persecution than we are. But then let's put our eyes on God and know that he's got a purpose in this. The gospel is worthy of all of that. The news of Jesus Christ is worthy of being shared in the face of any persecution. What did he say in verse 29? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. What kind of words are those, Paul? That, that word granted to you, that, that, that's a special word used by Paul in the New Testament. It's not a normal Greek word. It's, it's this word that, that has in it uh, this idea of grace, of unmerited favor of God that it has been granted to us. His, his grace and favor has been granted us. How? Not only that we should believe in him, but also that we should suffer for his sake. Do we see it that way? The fellowship with Jesus Christ of suffering. Jesus Christ has now gone to the right hand of the Father and his body continues his work. Why did he come in the first place? To reach and save the lost, to save sinners. And now we are his body continuing in his suffering, suffering for his sake to reach and save the lost. That's his purpose. The 
the purpose of grace. We're gonna be singing a song here at the end. And you can go ahead and come on up. At the cross. And as we sing it, we're gonna be singing about God's grace that we have received. God's love that we know. How, how sin and shame in my life have become powerless. How I have found peace and forgiveness and hope. If these words as we're singing them are true of you, of true of your experience with Christ, then that is your testimony. And while this song is very much, uh, the words is I and me and my experience, and just praise the Lord for what I have received from God, that is our testimony to share. And God has put us where we're at. So the final question I have, am I thankful to God? Am I thankful? It's his grace and favor that he has put me right where I'm at, in the job I'm at, in the situation I'm at, in the condition I'm at, and, and there may be suffering, and there may be turmoil, and there may be hurt, and, and it, it may not make any sense that, that this could even possibly be from God. But, but what do I see here is I see God's sovereign hand over everything. He has given it to us, not only to believe. That means he's given it to me to be a believer, and he's given it to us also then to suffer for his sake. We're not on this world. We're not in, in, in this place just to enjoy the short period of life on the earth. We're gonna have an eternity of enjoyment with Christ. But there's a purpose that God has us here. Jesus has a purpose to reach those who are in North Korea. He has a purpose to reach those who are in Russia. He has a purpose to reach those who are in our college campuses and in our high schools. And he has a purpose to reach those who are in the job that he put us in and in the soccer moms and dads that he put us next to. And in every situation that he's put us in, he's put us there for a purpose to carry on the gospel. <laughs> and the gospel is worthy of giving up our own rights and privileges and laying down our life just as Christ laid down his life for us to reach the lost. So let's sing this song and just worship Jesus who is worthy. Father, we owe all to you. God, you have transformed my life, every part of my life. And so as I see those around me at work, God, I, and, and, and at the soccer field, and, and even friends and family, God, I'd, as we're doing, as we're struggling, God, even those around me that know you, I still see that all of us, what we truly need is not what the world has as, as a quick fix or, or the thing that's, that's gonna make things better temporarily, but God, we need you. And in the same way that you've transformed my life, I want you to, I want you to transform the lives of those that are around me. And God, I want you to transform my life even more. God, give us courage. The Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul, prayed for boldness to speak as he ought to speak. And God, so I pray for us that we would have boldness to speak 
as we ought to speak, trusting you, our eyes on you, God, so that our words would be pleasing to you, you who tests our heart. You know us. God, I confess that, that in you is life, in you is joy, in you, there's reason to rejoice, and that's what the world needs desperately. They need a savior. So God, use us to be your vehicle to share the gospel. Give us courage to lay down our lives because God, the gospel is worthy of everything we have to offer. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray, amen.